The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I am Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from a text that I did not know existed, and uh, I actually just stumbled upon this uh, this week, and it happens to work out with the Parsha, because this week is Parsha's Noach, which is about the Mabul, the flood, and there is a, uh, a passage in Seneca's writings where he talks about his theory about a global flood, <laughs> okay? So this is in Seneca's, uh, I, I guess it's a book, a treatise, Natural Questions, uh, book three, chapter 28. Okay. Um, and the whole thing is really, uh, he writes about this in chapter 28, 29, and 30. I read through the whole thing and I just kind of, I mean, a lot of it is, again, this is natural questions. So this is natural philosophy or science. Uh, but, uh, I just wanted to quote some excerpts to give you a flavor of it, uh, uh, enough to get our purposes. So, uh, these are a few excerpts. He says, there is a section of philosophers who hold that while the earth may be greatly harassed by excessive rains, it cannot be overwhelmed by them. By a mighty blow, this mighty earth must be smitten. Rain will spoil the crops, hail will knock off the fruit, but the rivers will only be swollen above their banks and will subside again. Some again are satisfied that the cause of the widespread destruction will be derived from the movements of the sea. The great shipwreck of the world cannot, they think, arise from injury by cataract, river, or rain. So that's opinion number one. He's saying that uh, there are people who think that there can be, you know, water-related um, disasters, but nothing that will destroy the world. Okay, so now he says his own theory. I am willing to grant that when the day of destruction is at hand and heaven is resolved to create a new race of men, the rain will pour down incessantly and there will be no limit to the floods. The north and other dry winds will cease to blow. The south will bring up in plenty clouds. Uh, and rain and stream, and then he goes on at length and describes physically what's going to happen. Uh, and then he, he uh, you know, a few paragraphs later, he says, uh, but when the time of the deluge comes, the tide, free from all restraint, will set no limit to its advance. In what way, you say? Just in the same way as the great conflagration uh, is destined to take place. And for those who don't have that vocab, uh, uh, con- I don't know when I learned the word conflagration. Uh, it definitely was not one that I heard spoken. Uh, it means fire. Okay. Both will take place when God has seen fit to end the old order and bring in a better. Fire and water are lords of the earth. From these it took its rise, and in these it will find its grave. So when a new creation of the world has been resolved upon by heaven, the sea will be let loose uh, on us from above, or it may be the raging fire if another variety of destruction is heaven's will. So he's saying, basically, that one day when God sees fit to end the order and bring in a new, a new race, he will destroy the world either by, by water or by fire. Okay. Um, so the question is, well, what happens then? So much later in three thirty, uh, I think this is towards the end. Uh, Seneca writes when the destruction of the human race is consummated and when wild beasts whose nature men had come to share have been consigned together to a like fate, the earth will once more drink up the waters. Nature will force the sea to stay its course and to expend its rage within its wanted bounds. Ocean will be banished from our abodes into his own secret dwelling place. The ancient order of things will be recalled. Every living creature will be created afresh. The earth will receive a new man, ignorant of sin, born under happier stars. But they too will retain their innocence only while they are new. Vice quickly creeps in. Virtue is difficult to find. She requires ruler and guide. But vice can be acquired even without a tutor. Okay, so when I read this, 
my first thought was, oh, Seneca holds by the theory that was uh, held by the Dor Haflaga, by the generation of the dispersion who built the Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Bavel. Um, how do we know this? So it says later on in this week's Parsha, in Bereshi's uh, um, Yud Aleph, Aleph, uh, Genesis 1.11, um, so the Puzzle says, uh, the verse says, The entire earth was of one language and unified principles, unified statements, unified ideas. So there are lots of different interpretations of what that last phrase means. Rashi gives three of them. Uh, the third one is, uh, uh, which in the original source, uh, it's, okay, fine, yeah, I won't go to the original source, we'll just read Rashi. Amru, they said, meaning the people of this civilization said, shana harakia mismotate. Once every 1,656 years, the firmament, the sky, becomes unstable. Kamosha asa bimehamabul, like happened in the, the days of the flood. Ba'u venase lo smuchos. We will come and make supports for it. Okay. So, um, so it's unclear. So, so uh, according to this interpretation, and this is from Midrash Rabbah, the original source is Midrash Rabbah uh, 38 6. Um, Basically, the uh, according to this midrash, the people of the of you know the, the Dorhaflag, the generation of the dispersion before the dispersion, thought they they thought that the flood was a natural cyclical event. Okay, um, that that I guess the flood had happened one thousand six hundred and fifty six years beforehand. So they said, or or I guess you know um, I don't know actually I don't know how long beforehand, but. Uh, they they based on when the flood happened, they had this theory that a flood like this will happen every one thousand six hundred fifty six years. Uh, but we are going to stop it, right? We are going to build this tower uh, and make supports for the sky so it doesn't become unsteady. The original midrash says basically that they they need to build four towers, and this is the one in the east. Um, now, is this midrash to be taken uh, literally? You know, like, did they actually think that they could support the sky with towers? Um, unclear. You know, I was reading in this book uh, by Tim Ferriss, not to be confused with uh, the Tim Ferriss, whose books I read. Uh, where is this book here? Timothy Ferriss, sorry. Yeah, he goes by Timothy Ferriss. Um, that uh, in the ancient times, you know, when they built these ziggurats, he says that uh, this is the very page one of the book, the skies of our ancestors hung low overhead when the ancient Sumerian, Chinese and Korean astronomers trudged up the steps of their squat stone ziggurats to study the stars. They had no reason to assume that they obtained a better view that way. Um, sorry, sorry. They, they had reason to assume that they obtained a better view that way. Not as we would say today, because they had surmounted a little dust and turbulent air, but because they had got themselves appreciably closer to the stars. Um, the Egyptians regarded the sky as a kind of tent canopy supported by the mountains that demarked the four corners of the earth. And as the mountains were not all that high, neither presumably were the heavens. Um, the gigantic Egyptian constellations hovered close over man humankind as proximate as a mother bending to kiss a sleeping child. Um, so he goes on and, and basically says how the ancients really did think that the sky was was close enough to be reached, you know, to be supported by the mountains, to be reached, you know, to you're, you're closer to it when you build your ziggurat. So I don't know if this midrash is to be taken, you know, literally that these people thought that they could support the sky. But what we care about here is what is the midrash trying to teach us? So what was the mistake, according to that, uh, to this midrash? The mistake of the people was that they denied that the flood was a punishment from God for the, the sins and corruption of mankind. Okay. They said it was a natural event 
And not only is it a natural event, it's a natural event that we can stop with our technology, you know? Uh, and that's why they are portrayed by Hazal as being wicked, because they were really denying the, um, the you know, the Masorah, the tradition from Noah, um, that, that God had brought the the flood as a punishment for mankind and that he had made a covenant to say that this was not going to happen again. Uh, obviously these people clearly held it was going to happen again. And it seems, I don't know if this is unanimous, but um, it seems pretty uh, evident that Noah and his sons were still alive when the tower was being built. So that's why I'm using the words deny that they, they actually denied this. Uh, it's not just that they were ignorant of it. Okay. So when I first read Seneca, I thought, Oh, that's what he holds. He holds that, that the, the flood is uh you know, he says it's cyclical, right? That this is, uh, uh, you know, this happens every once in a while that um, that God sees fit to end the old order and bring in a new one. And he debates whether it's going to be through fire or water. Okay, but then I realized, and so I, I thought, I, I just, again, I associated to that and I just equated it uh, with this Midrash. And then I realized, no, he is saying that that the that it's cyclical but he's saying it's cyclical not because of cycles in nature but because of cycles in man right so let's read that again he says uh when the destruction of the human race is consummated okay meaning it reaches its culmination and when wild beasts whose nature men had come to share had been consigned together to a like fate okay meaning when man becomes like uh animals the earth will once more drink up the waters Okay, now pause for one second here. I'm just realizing as I'm reading this here, that's very um, similar to the phrase used when God does proclaim destruction on the on the world, right? He says, hold on. Um, this is a not notoriously difficult pasuk to translate. Uh, but after Hashem, um, after the people uh, are start, you know, stealing women and engaging in violence and robbery, it says, uh, Hashem says, Hashem, Lo yadon ruhi ba'adam basar. Okay, so again, very difficult to translate. Uh, I'm just going to look up the Rabag really quickly because I think I liked his interpretation the best. So the, what is, the Rabag says, What does it mean, Lo yadon ruhi ba'adam, that my spirit will no longer be yadun in man? Okay, I can't find this Rabag right now. Oh, he says, Okay, I'm just going to paraphrase because I, 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 again, I thought about this on the spot. What is the spirit of Hashem in man? The spirit of Hashem in man is the intellect. That's what we call, I mean, it's not the spirit of Hashem in man. It's the, the spirit of man, which is, uh, you know, described, which allows him to relate to Hashem. Um, so the intellect will no longer yadon, will no longer rule over man, meaning it will no longer govern man um, because he is also flesh. Okay. And the Rabag, uh, you could look it up. I'm pretty sure this is the Rabag that I'm thinking of says, Basically, what happened was humankind had been uh, so overtaken by their animal instincts that the intellect was in danger of becoming extinguished and and perishing from the human race. And then man would be no different than animals. So that is very similar to what Seneca is saying. OK, but then I'll go back to Seneca. So when this happens, um, the earth will once more drink up the waters. Nature will force the sea to stay its course and to expend its rage within its wanted bounds. Ocean will be banished from our abodes into its, its, his own secret dwelling place. The ancient order of things will be recalled. Every living creature will be created afresh. The earth will receive a new man, ignorant of sin, born under happier stars. So you have here God destroying mankind because of their vice, because they became like animals, and he's creating a, uh, he's restarting the human race uh, afresh. And that's very, very much like Noah. However, he says, but they too will retain their innocence only while they are new. Vice quickly creeps in. Virtue is hard, is difficult to find. She requires ruler and guide, but vice can be acquired even without a tutor. Now, 
that's also very similar to what Hashem says after the flood, okay, which is Noah brings a korban, brings a, a sacrifice, and it says here, um, uh, where is it? Vayarach Hashem is reach and chav. This is in uh, Breshi's Ches Chav Aleph 821. Uh, Hashem smelled the pleasant aroma. Obviously, that's a metaphor. Vayomer Hashem Alibo, and Hashem said to himself, Lo osi flakalal od es adama bavur adam. I will no longer continue or no longer again curse the earth or continue to curse the earth because of man. Ki yetzer lev ha'adam ra minu urav. Because the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. V'lo osif od l'hakos es kol And I will not again strike all living things as I have done. Okay. So very interesting. In the Torah, Hashem points out the same point that Seneca points out, which is man is prone to vice, but where Seneca says, therefore, man will eventually get to this bad state again and God will have to destroy the world again. Hashem says, therefore, I will not destroy the world again. Now, I have not learned that part of Noah in a while, so I'm not going to speculate about any ideas about that. And the sentence on the surface doesn't make sense, right? Hashem smells the pleasant aroma, sounds like a good thing, and then says um, that I will no longer destroy the earth because the... um, because the uh, sorry, I will no longer curse the earth because the uh, the inclination of man's heart is evil uh, uh, from his youth, right? Like, what does that mean? Because the evil uh, uh, the, the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth, that's why God's not going to curse the earth and not going to bring uh, destroy all life. So uh, I, I don't know what that means, but it is the opposite of Seneca. And if you look at what the Torah holds about the ultimate human destiny. It is way more optimistic than Seneca. We hold that what's going to happen at the end is eventually Hashem will bring Mashiach. The entire world will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem, uh, like water that covers the seabed. And everyone will live in peace and harmony and live as human beings are designed to live, which is seeking knowledge and, and living in line with Chesed, Tzedakah, and Mishpat, with kindness and uh, righteousness and justice. So... What what ends up interesting is my initial reading of Seneca that he thought that the flood was cyclical is interesting. He does hold the flood as cyclical, but it's because he holds that human nature is cyclical and that every species, every uh, new crop of men is destined to descend to the level of vice and to become like the animals. Now, you know, obviously Seneca did not have access to Navua, you know, and we wouldn't know this. I think if we didn't have the Torah, we would we we would certainly not believe that Mashiach would come. And we might assume like Seneca does. So I'm not blaming him for his mistake, but I do want to point out that it's very interesting that the um the way that you view the destiny of mankind will affect how the actions that you do to bring about that destiny. Okay. In other words, if you believe that man is condemned to, to vice and everything is just always going to go bad. So then that's going to lead to this outlook where, you know, um, uh, like, you know, might makes right or like, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, righteousness and perfection don't matter. Um, and, uh, you know, something, you know, it's going to lead to, um, uh, a uh, a society that is not striving to perfect itself. But when we believe, and again, we believe based on Nevoah, but when we believe that that mankind will ultimately culminate in, in a state of perfection and peace and knowledge, so then that pushes us to aspire for that. So what I'm arguing here is that, that the Nevoah of Mashiach is not just something that is a truth like, hey guys, there's going to be Mashiach. It actively affects how we relate 
to our fellow human being and and pushes us to be more virtuous, you know, and, and combats that tendency to just give up on mankind. Uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs talks about this a lot uh, in his various essays. I'm trying to think, okay, I, I don't remember which one right now. I, I think in, or actually, I don't even have this one here. In um, his essays on Pesach, uh, he has a thing about how uh, Greek, uh, about Greek tragedies um, versus uh, uh, Jewish uh, stories uh, and how, depending on how you frame the story, that's going to uh, reflect and promote your outlook of human life. But I can't find that right now, so I think this is a good place to end the episode. Um, so <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, that was a weird one, but uh, I, I thought, you know, I had to do a, uh, an episode on, on Parsha's Noah and the Flood uh, while we were on the Parsha. So that's it. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss, and my Zelle and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with a financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you'd like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewis at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.